Well, if you have your Bibles, please would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews and chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Somebody said to me recently, you preach a lot from the Old Testament. Well, I'm preaching from the New Testament tonight, but uh, (laughs) it's Moses from the Old Testament in the New Testament. (laughs) I've been reading the book of Hebrews in my quiet time and I finished about five days ago and I'm still buzzing from it. It's just such a blessing. It's a book of warning, of of course, but a a book of so many encouragements as well. So, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're beginning to read at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked To the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Please keep your Bibles open there. Now, back in 1998, Trek Smith, who's an Australian charter pilot, was flying over a remote area of South Australia when he spotted something unusual from the sky. And as he looked down from his plane, he could see it was a huge outline of an Aborigine man throwing a boomerang. Now, this was fascinating because whoever made it either must have been a giant... Or it was somebody working on the ground who had amazing artistic ability to draw what he himself, of course, actually couldn't see as he was making it and still get it proportionally right. But when uh, Trek Smith tried to find out who made it, no one had heard of it before. And it seemed that this totally new creation had sprung up at that time in 1998. It got even more intriguing when a large glass jar was found at the site of the the image containing a satellite image of the man from space and an American flag. And to add to that, in 1999, the following year, a fax was sent to certain officials telling them to dig five metres south of the nose of the figure, which they did, And in doing so, they uncovered a plaque which bore another American flag, uh, some Olympic rings on it, and a quote from a book about Aborigine hunters. All very mysterious. But Mari Man, as the figure is now known, is today famous for one thing above all, being the largest geoglyph, as they call them, a picture of a man anywhere 
in the world. Larger than the chalk man at Cernabas or anywhere else in the world with a perimeter of 17 miles. Think of that all the way around. It goes uh, 2.2 miles in length, I believe. So that's huge. But no matter how big he was or is, uh, he's not the biggest man in real life. Because that prize, apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, goes to the person in our Bible reading tonight, Moses. Mr. Theodore Epps said of him, What a man, from Adam to Christ, none was greater. And Bishop J.C. Ryle pointed out, The name of Pharaoh's daughter has perished. The treasures of Egypt are gone, but the name of Moses is known wherever the Bible is read. And that's absolutely true. He is the greatest Old Testament figure. Even in chapter 3 of this book, we read about his faithfulness, uh, that he was faithful in all his house. And here in chapter 11, the author is pointing to many Old Testament figures and he is showing how they lived by faith as we do. Now, the point of this is this, that the Hebrew Christians who this was written to were under persecution and were tempted to go back to their old religion of Judaism to avoid persecution. And they were tempted to go back to the temple worship in the, uh, in the days around the time of the Day of Atonement sacrifice. We know that from the references to the bulls and the goats in this book, especially in chapter 9. But Whilst they're tempted to go back to that because it's a religion that could be seen and and which would avoid them then being persecuted for being Christians, the writer to the Hebrews, probably Paul, says, don't go back. He says, go on. Because in Christ, what we have is better by far. In chapters 1 to 7, he says we have a better person. And he goes through all the different major characters of the Old Testament. Chapters 1 and 2, he's better than the angels. Angels are massive in angelology, in uh, Hebrew thought. He's better than the prophets. You remember he begins the book that way. He's better than Joshua. Joshua brought rest to the people of Israel, but the Lord brings us into the promised rest of, for our souls. He's better than all the Old Testament characters. So he's a better person. He's also a better priest than the ones they want to go back to because these priests, after the line of Aaron, they keep dying. And uh, that means they have to be replaced. But we have a priest who's died on the cross and lives forever. A priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we have a better priest in chapters 7 through to 10. And then in chapters 11 through to the end, we have a better principle. And the principle is faith. Faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shows that the Old Testament characters were actually also people who lived by faith. In fact, that phrase comes up like a a chorus in a song throughout this whole chapter. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses. And here he comes to the great lawgiver himself in verse 23. And really, it could be no one bigger he could raise as an example of living by faith for the Hebrews. Because remember what I just said, they were tempted to go back to the law. But here he shows the lawgiver himself lived by faith. (laughs) And so if they want to follow in Moses' footsteps, they also should be people of faith. 
And I want us to have a look at this tonight because Moses' faith really is extraordinary faith. And it's an encouragement to us to follow in his footsteps. Hebrews 6 verse 12 says that we are to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And I hope you and I will become imitators also of Moses' faith. And we see his faith in this chapter in four areas. We see it's seen in his parents who went before him. It's seen in his preference, what he chose, one thing over another. It's seen in his perception, his vision, what he could see spiritually. And it's seen in his Passover at the end that we've been talking about already. So let's see the first of these. We see his faith in his parents. Uh, Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, I was a beautiful child when I was born and my parents did also think about hiding me. (laughs) My mum tells me when when I was born, uh, they didn't slap her, they slapped everyone. (laughs) And uh, they fed me with a catapult to keep as far away as possible. (laughs) But all seriousness, when Moses' parents saw him, they saw that he were, there was something special about him when he was born. Um, and in Acts 7 verse 20, when Stephen is preaching to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, he says again that they saw he was no ordinary child and they realised something sovereign of God was given into this child's life and it, he was marked out for leadership. Now, it was probably nothing outward. Um, I heard about one lady who in 2007, a lady by the name of Hybertieli, she lives in Birmingham, and in 2007 she gave birth to her seventh child at seven o'clock in the morning on the 7th of July, which is the seventh month in hospital room seven. Now you could say, oh that's got a mark stamped all over it, that child, you know, he must be destined for greatness. Well, I don't think it was anything like that that they saw with Moses. But what they could see was something of the plan of God in the timing of his birth when they had been praying for a deliverer. I don't think it was an outward manifestation. I don't think he had a big halo around his head or anything like that. I don't even think that it was his beautiful looks in the sense of uh, something about him said, I'm a saviour, I'm a redeemer. Because remember, this is what Samuel was corrected for when he was looking at Jesse's sons uh, in the house uh, where David was to come from. And he kept looking at Eliab who was big and strong. And he said, Lord, it must be him. And he said, no, it's not him. And he went through all the sons. And the Lord said, don't look at the outward appearance because God looks at the heart. So I don't think it was anything physically outside of Moses that made them realise he was special. But it was something spiritually that they must have seen with the eyes of faith that uh, made them realise he was a child set apart for the rescue of this nation, as we know he was. And his parents, Jochum and Amram, had great faith themselves. And uh, their faith was shown in the fact that when Moses was born, they hid him for three months. Now, when we think of them hiding Moses, we tend to think of them hiding him in the basket in the bulrushes. And they certainly did that. 
But this is actually hiding even before that, for three months before that, keeping his pregnancy, her pregnancy, keeping the birth, trying to keep the baby quiet at night. So when it's crying, it didn't draw attention to the fact they had a baby in the house. And they did all that by faith, because as it says there, they were not afraid of the king's command. Now that may sound back to front. You may think to to yourself, well, they did that because they were afraid of the king's command. No, no, they did it because they weren't. They were trusting in the Lord and they were trusting the Lord to protect their son and raise him up to be a deliverer for Israel. And the important thing to realise here is that they were people of faith as well. Even though they were just ordinary Israelites from the tribe of Levi, they were living by faith in the Lord and in his word. And this faith actually was something they were able to demonstrate to Moses. Now, we've got to be careful. They didn't give their faith to Moses, okay? Because God has no grandchildren. And you cannot give your faith to your children. Faith comes from God. Remember the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. They prayed it, didn't they? And the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, verse 1, that we have received like precious faith as the apostle. We've received it. It comes to us as a gift. Hebrews 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing. It comes. And it's something that God imparts when we uh, are to be saved. And uh, faith comes from God. So they couldn't give him faith, but they could demonstrate and nurture that faith. And they did. And what's amazing is later on, we see that Moses copied their faith. Because uh, in verse 27, we'll come to this a little bit later, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So he walked in the footsteps of his parents' faith. And I want to say this, dear friends, that you know what, this is such an important lesson we can learn about the faith of Moses. His faith, the faith of Moses is seen, first of all, in, in his parents before it is seen in him. You can read about this in the book of Exodus, chapter 1 and 2. But we see it laid out here in Hebrews. It was in them before it came to him. And you know what a great example this is to us who are parents. That we should also try and nurture and pray for the faith of our children. That we should lay before them the truth of God's word. So that they can hear the gospel. They can hear the truth and believe. You know that's the great calling of parenthood is to raise heaven-bound children in a hell-bound world. And it's not easy. So if we're parents, we have to be people of prayer and people of diligence to this matter. Faith doesn't come to children while they're asleep in their beds at night. It comes as you open the word of God in the home and share Christ with them. And of course, that means you yourself have got to be a believer. You know, I, I came across this story in some Bible notes here. I, I found it staggering to believe uh, that it was true, but it said this. Listen to this. A driving instructor in Germany was stopped by the police after a minor accident with a truck. 
When asked for his driver's license, he couldn't provide one. He had been instructing students for more than 40 years on how to drive, yet he didn't have his own license. Years earlier, he had failed a driving test and he was fearful of trying again. He kept this fact a secret out of embarrassment. (laughs) Well, it became known in the end, didn't it? Forty years, he had been trying to teach others how to drive and he'd never passed the test himself. But how many homes is that also true in, spiritually? Now, little Johnny, you've got to go to church, you've got to be a good boy, you've got to follow God. And the parents themselves have never come to the foot of the cross and asked Jesus to save them. Won't work. Won't work. We have to be people of faith ourselves like Moses' parents were if we want our children to be children of faith. And we want to raise them up in the truths. The, uh, the poet said this, Your privilege is beyond all price, worth more than silver, gold or fame, to guide with love and sacrifice and write on children's hearts God's name. How true that is. And may those of us who are parents or grandparents take it to heart to pray and see, to try to bring about the faith of our children by instructing them in the word of God so that faith can come by hearing God's word. So that's the first thing we see. Moses' faith comes, uh, is seen first in his parents. Secondly, it is seen in his preference. And that's what we see in verse 24. You'll notice my points are all following the new statement by faith. And this is the second one. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to suffer the passing pleasures of sin. You know, one day when Abraham Lincoln stood on the docks of New Orleans, he saw a black woman being sold as a slave, taken away from her husband and her children and being sold as a slave to never see the rest of her family again. And it said that Abraham Lincoln was so deeply moved by what he saw, he clenched his fist to the point where his nails dug into his hand and they bled. And he was heard to say this, if I ever get a chance, I will stop this wicked slavery. And praise God he did. He became uh, President of the United States, as you know, and he signed the Emancipation Proclamation granting slavery uh, a freedom to America's slaves. Now that was an amazing thing that Abraham Lincoln did. But you know what? As great as that was, Abraham Lincoln himself never actually joined the slaves. He did it from a position of safety, but he never actually became a slave. But you know the remarkable thing about Moses was Moses also delivered slaves. He delivered the children of Israel from Egypt but he didn't stay in his position of safety. Rather he chose to leave the position of safety and join them so that he could be their deliverer. And this is an amazing thing. He made a choice to be with the people of God, the persecuted people of God, rather than the privileged people of society. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Now, you might think cynically, well, that's actually true of all teenagers. When they come of age, they refuse to be known by their parents, don't they? And uh, I remember walking six feet in front of my parents as we went down the road, hoping I wouldn't see anyone from my school and the connection wouldn't be made. And my kids have done it to me uh, at times as well. You know, they come, we come of age and we want to make that distance. But that wasn't what Moses was talking about. When it happened with Moses, what was happening was he had been adopted as Pharaoh's daughter. And he was a prince in Egypt, set to become a ruler in the land. But he rejected that and he chose instead to be with the persecuted people of God. What an astounding choice. Now you may say to yourself, I don't believe anyone would do that. I'm sorry, I just don't believe that's true. I'll tell you, it is true. And people have done that. Do you know, during World War II, Corrie ten Boom's father uh, was approached by a Dutch clergyman who refused to shelter a Jewish baby in World War II. And the Dutch clergyman said, we could lose our lives for that Jewish child. And the the, the Jewish the, the father, Corrie ten Boom's father, took the baby and said, you say that we could lose our life for this child, I would consider that the greatest honour that could come to this family. What a remarkable way of looking at life. What an amazing way to choose the persecuted people of God and side with them, even at great cost yourself. Well, that's what Moses did. Now, why did he do it? Was he just pro-Jewish? Was this just his pro-Jewish stance? Well, he was pro-Jewish, but that wasn't it. We see why in verse 26. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. You see, Moses understood something. These people weren't being persecuted just because they're Jewish. They're being persecuted because the Messiah who's going to save the world is going to come from their line. And the devil is trying to crush the Saviour in the seed before he's born. And that's what he understood. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ. He knew if he was to join them, he would be suffering not just for the Star of David flag. He would be suffering for the cross of Christ. For the Messiah himself. And he looked to the reward that Christ gives those who are faithful to him. What a, what a perception, what a preference he made. And what riches he turned his back on to do that. You know, dear friends, sometimes in life we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice for following Christ. And we have to say, I'm going to choose to go Christ's way rather than the way of the world. And it'll be a step of faith. It'll be a difficult step. But it'll be a step which is worth it. Even to step down in society. I wonder if you've ever heard the name Justinian von Welts. It's not a name so well known today. But Justinian von Welts, who lived in the 1600s, was one of the first missionaries in modern history anyway. And uh, he was from a noble family uh, in, uh, in, in Germany. And uh, his families were Lutherans. And, but he was, when he grew up, as he was growing up, he was a rebel. And he lived a very worldly life. 
But when he was 40, he went home to his parents and he read again the scriptures and considered again the lives of the people of God he had heard about from the past from his family. And he himself was thoroughly converted. And at 40 years old, this man who was due to inherit a great amount of wealth and become a nobleman, do you know what he did? He said goodbye to it all and he became a missionary to Dutch Guyana. This is what he wrote. He said, as he was, this is what, this is what was written about him, as he was preparing to go to missionary service, he said, what is it to me to bear the title well-born when I am born again to Christ? What is it for me to have the title Lord when I desire to be a servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these vanities I will put away and all else I will lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) What What an astounding choice he made. He turned his back on the riches of this world for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has said that the letters of the world faith stand for forsaking all I trust him. Maybe that's what we need to do tonight. And maybe there's something the Lord is laying on your heart to turn away from, to choose Christ over the things of the world. Maybe there's a young person listening and watching and you're being tempted to go with the ways of the world and the people at school and their ways. And your friends who are Christians, they're being mocked and ridiculed for following the Lord Jesus. I encourage you, make a stand by faith. Choose to side with the people of God and Christ's reward will be yours. And you'll follow him in faith. Do it. A changed life is a mark of a true salvation. Forsake all and follow him. Then we see thirdly his faith in his perception. Because in verse 27 it says this. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now I might surprise you to know this, I'm not actually very good at sports, but one thing I do seem to be relatively good at is aiming sports. And uh, whether it's hoops here at the youth club, throwing hoopla, uh, or temping bowling. A few years ago I was invited to speak at Sunderland with some other ministers at a conference and uh, one of them, in, we had a free afternoon, and one of them said, let's go temping bowling. And so we went temping bowling. Do you know, it was an embarrassment. I, I didn't have my glasses, but I hit strike after strike after strike. Now, I, 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 honestly, this, is, this was really strange to me because like, I'm useless at sport, but for some reason, I managed to do it. When I was at Cornhill uh, doing my training, um, I, I stumbled into uh, one of the offices that wasn't being used at a, at a break time, and some boys there looked rather embarrassed. They had a dartboard up. And, uh, this wasn't, wasn't in lesson times. And I said, what are you lot doing? And they said, we're having a sneaky game of darts. Do you want to go? I just picked it up and threw it. Do you know it went straight in the bullseye? <laughs> they, they said, you've got to be on our team. I, 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 I want to tell you, I can't even see whether you're awake or not. All right? my, <laughs> I haven't got my glasses on. Now, honestly, my sight is terrible. But for some reason, I seem to be good at target things. Well, there was a man by the name of Matt Emmons, and Matt Emmons was also very good at target things. He had an ability to hit things 
with a bullseye. And he became a rifle shooter. And uh, he became a gold medalist rifle shooter in the Olympic Games. But in 2004, something went wrong. He took up his rifle, set his sights, fired, hit the bullseye. But he dropped down eight places. Do you know why? He'd hit the wrong target. He hit somebody else's target. He had the target right. He got the bullseye, but he was set on the wrong target. Now, dear friends, that is a tragedy in life when we hit the wrong target. And Moses had the perception that was right to make sure he hit the right target. You see, Moses had before him two kings. And which one was he going to fear? And which one was he going to follow? The king of Egypt, who was Pharaoh, or the Lord God, who is the king of kings, and the one who is sovereign over all? Well, he set his sight on the invisible king. And he saw him who was invisible. Now, that's a paradox, isn't it? How can you see somebody who's invisible? Well, you don't see them physically, but you see them spiritually. You know, it's possible for someone to believe in God to the point where that it's as if you can see them with your eyes. Martin Luther said, for he held on to him, he saw not just as though he saw him. And I think that's exactly right. He saw the Lord with the eye of faith and he put his trust in him. And by faith in him, he forsook Egypt and he didn't fear the wrath of the king because he endured seeing him who is invisible. I want to say, dear friends, we need to set our sight on the right king by faith. You know, your outlook will determine your outcome and who you're afraid of will determine how bold you're able to be. John Bunyan said, fear God and you will have no one else to fear. And I think he was right. And that's what Moses was saying here. So let's follow Moses' example and set our sights on the Lord. The Lord is greater than the powers of this world. Do we need to be reminded of that tonight? As we see President Putin, as we see Iran and what's happening. Who's, who have we got our sights on? Let's see him who's invisible. Let's make him our focus so that we're not afraid and we're able to go forward in faith. To follow in the steps of those whose eyes are on the Lord will help to keep us strong and true and faithful to his word. And then finally we see his faith in his Passover in verse uh, 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. I wonder if you've ever seen Pompeii. Pompeii is a fascinating thing at the foot of Mount Vesuvius in Italy, which was uh, the scene of a devastating volcanic eruption. Interestingly enough, many Bible scholars believe that it was actually a part of God's judgment on Rome for the destruction of Jerusalem that God, uh, in turn, judged the the city of Pompeii. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's uh, an opinion that is held. And in 1748, archaeologists first started uncovering the remains of 
of Pompeii. And they haven't stopped uncovering it since. It's a remarkable story because as they keep uncovering things, they begin to realise what happened. They say around midnight, the first of four searing hot clouds or surges of ash, pumice, rock and toxic gas rushed down the mountainside, travelling towards Pompeii at up to 180 miles an hour. It scorched everything in its path around 7am, 18 hours after the original eruption the last fiery surge hurled down towards the city. And this is a, an amazing thing. You know, the thick ash turned everything into a ghost town. And everything froze as it was. One of the remarkable things is that the ash fell so quickly that it made darkness. The day seemed dark and nobody could see, nobody could breathe and people just froze as they were. It's a chilling sight, isn't it? Think that that could happen in a night to a major city. Well, I want to tell you, that's nothing compared to what happened on the night of the Passover. Because on that night, it wasn't a volcano, it was something silent. But it passed not over one city, it passed over the whole land of Egypt. And all the firstborn sons in every house died. Was the angel of God's judgment. The angel of death passing over. But there was a difference in the Jewish houses. Because God had commanded Moses, as we read earlier on in our service, to kill a Passover lamb and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts so that the sacrifice had been paid Already, and the angel of death could pass over. There's a story of uh, a house in Amsterdam, in Rotterdam, which is called the House of a Thousand Terrors. During the 16th century, the Dutch revolted against the Spanish, and Philip of Spain sent his troops to quench the uprising. And these wicked soldiers went from house to house, killing everybody in the houses. Well, the people in this particular house you can see here, which you can still go and visit, the little girl in the house had a great idea. She said, kill the family goat, pour the blood out under the doorway. And they hid inside the house and stayed quiet. As they heard the soldiers coming up the road, the soldiers saw the blood coming under the doorway and they said, the work here has already been done. And they moved on. To the next house. Do you know what happened? They were saved by the blood. And that's like the Passover. They were saved by the blood. A father was talking to his child one night and said, Why did God spare the Egyptian? Why did God spare the children of Israel on the night of the Passover? Do you know what the little girl said? Because the killing had already happened with the lamb. Now that's a child's explanation, but it's exactly right. The blood of the sacrifice had been put on the doorpost. See, those lambs weren't pets. They were sacrifices. And the blood was applied in faith to those doorposts. If I told you a lamb was more powerful than a tank, you would have laughed at me. But when morning came, the Egyptians realised, and the Israelites realised, the power of the blood of the lamb. And Moses and the children of Israel kept the Passover by 
faith, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. What an example for the Hebrews to turn their back on the things of the world and follow Christ, the Passover lamb, rather than any other sacrifices. And what an example for us tonight as well, because we also need to make sure that by faith we are trusting in the sprinkling of the blood. I want to ask you tonight, not are you under the water of baptism, but are you under the blood of the Lamb? Only the blood of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ can save you. Only his blood can save you. Only his blood can wash you clean. Only his blood can protect you from the judgment of God at the end of time. If you haven't yet asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your saviour and put your trust in him, do so tonight. Be like Moses, be like the children of Israel and put your faith in Christ our Passover and the sprinkling of his blood, lest the judgment of God come to you when it comes on the rest of the world. Dear friend, please do this. It's the blood that saves. You know, Spurgeon once said, you can tell a church how sound a church is by how much blood there is in the church. They said about the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the blood was running down the pulpit steps as Spurgeon preached the blood of the Lamb. Not physically, but you get the point. And I'm here to do the same tonight. Uphold the blood of Christ as the only way of salvation. Friends, put your trust in Christ tonight and by faith, like Moses, you will be saved. So what a great example in faith Moses is. May you and I also have faith which we also demonstrate and nurture our children in. May we be willing to make that preference to choose to suffer with the people of God, even uh, if it costs us riches in this life. May we have that perception to see the true king, the Lord who reigns even over the monarchs of this world. And may we be saved by trusting in Christ, our Passover lamb, as well. Amen.